Welcome to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your hosts, Griffin Youngs and Christian Boulay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Griffin Youngs, joined by Christian Bollet, as always. Now, I kind of, a couple of days ago, expected to come into this episode with the conference final done, especially fresh off of the, the Panthers' sweep of the Hurricanes. Didn't really think Dallas would have much of a chance winning two in a row against Vegas. I felt really good about the chances that we could finally start talking about the Stanley Cup final on here. But nevertheless, this is why they play the games. Dallas not only wins game four, they win game five in Vegas and now we're going back to Dallas for game six and momentum is a hell of a drug because now pressure's kind of getting on the nights a little bit yeah it's definitely a um weird series because we both thought it was over uh when we were talking no Jamie Ben it's almost like the team's better without Jamie Ben um that's kind of crazy to think about but they're gonna get Jamie Ben back for game six this was the stars I expected to see the entire series in these past two games. I like, I don't know where this has been all series. I don't know why it took them three games to wake up, but all of a sudden they are right back in the series with a chance to possibly go to a game seven. Yeah. And maybe it's a little addition by subtraction without Jamie Ben. I'm only half kidding with that, by the way, but Dallas, I mean, they looked really good over these last two games. I mean, game three was just such a disaster. For them, I mean, we were on to be like, that is one of the worst performances a team has had in these entire playoffs. And they lose their captain as a result. And they also lose Dodonov to injury and bringing up guys from the AHL. Game four goes to overtime and they find a way to just get out of it and survive. And Joe Pavelski, somehow at 38, still doing the things that he's doing with so far nine goals in these playoffs wins it on the power play in overtime just to to keep them alive. How good would Joe Pavelski look in an Avs jersey? Dude, I have said <laughs> this for so many years. If it is ever a possibility, I really want Joe Pavelski to be on the Avs. He would be so fucking good on a line with McKinnon and Rantanen. Like, he's not the biggest, but his net front presence is so massive. I, I like and, him better as a second line option for Oh, us. yeah. I mean, but, either way, like, he would be so gross. And... If there's one thing the Avs have missed the most without Gabe Landeskog, Gabe Landeskog is elite at redirecting pucks. They did not have... Can you remember that many redirection goals the Avs had this year? Not... They lost a very important part of yeah. that without Landeskog. But like you're saying, Pavelski is just simply the best at it. Yeah, he's he's the best. And that goal he scored, like, you knew that goal was coming because you. It's it's one of those things where I know the statistics probably don't back me up. But if you give up a power play in overtime, there's like a 90% chance you lose. Like I, I don't know why. There's no statistics to back that up. But I feel like whatever team goes on a power play first in the overtime is going to score and win that game. Because I feel like it didn't used to be that way. I can remember over the last couple of years in the playoffs when you get to a power play in overtime. It doesn't always end on the first power play. Right. It seems like this year you take one penalty and that game is done. I mean, we saw it with the abs against the Kraken. You had Manson take that penalty in overtime and Seattle ends it on the first power play. And I've, there's been at least five overtimes this year where one mistake in overtime, you're in the box and the game is immediately over. 
Yeah. Like it, there's no statistics to back that up. We were definitely talking out of our ass, but I was like, all right, this game's over. Like the, the stars are going to score. And the thing is, is like, I don't think Aiden Hill has been playing bad, but those last two goals he gave up last night in game five, especially the first one to Delandria, that was a really, really bad goal to give up. Yeah. Really, really bad goal. Those are those are confidence shakers for a guy yeah. like Aiden Hill who does not have a ton of NHL experience. Has been a guy sticking around in the NHL for the last couple of years, never in a big significant role. Now being trusted to be the guy that's going to win you a Stanley Cup and has been phenomenal so far. He did make huge saves in that. Oh yeah, game, in game. he was great. He was great Ooh. up until that first one by Delandria. Yeah. And then he gives up that one by Delandria. And then second one is not as bad, but still not perfect. And all of a sudden, like I said, that pressure is starting to to get on Vegas a little bit, that Dallas is now halfway there. They're halfway there and they have all the momentum. I mean, it's just plain and simple. Like it's it's different because I just like Ottinger these past two games, like he hasn't looked fantastic. Like the thing is, is like, we know Jake Ottinger has that in him. We know he does. And he hasn't been phenomenal in these past two games. He's been sturdy. I'd I'd argue he's been phenomenal these last couple of games. But like when I, I hold Jake Ottinger to such a high standard that for me, that's like the expected of him. I'm expecting a game where he throws like a 35 game, 35 save shutout. And I think that's going to come in one of these last two games if they can get that far. Yeah, I mean, uh, when facing elimination, Ottinger has been borderline a brick wall. I mean, you go to the Calgary Game 7 from last year, which I think very much skews those stats a little bit because he had a billion saves in that game. But in the last two games, he's a 931 and a 949 in both of those games, when the game prior, he was a 400. And then the two games before that, he was an 875 and an 892, not a shock that now all of a sudden Dallas is winning these games because now they're getting the saves that they need to get. And again, it's like I said, after game three, when I did count Dallas out is that if they are going to do this, they're going to need Jake Ottinger to be spectacular. Right. And he's been out dueling Aiden Hill. But the thing about being down three Oh is that now every game is a game seven and now they're only halfway there. They still have to do this two more times and one bad period could be, the end of it. That's why this doesn't happen. You've seen teams win two, win down 3-0, but there's a reason why this has only happened four or five times in NHL history. Well, let's see. Can we name off the top of our heads? I know the Canadians did it once way back in like the 60s when their coach was dying. Was The Islanders I did it in, in their cup run. Did they? I don't think they did. I think yeah, they. I, I think they did. I think okay. they did. I think actually no. Actually, say I think you're right. I know the first one was the Leafs against the the Red Wings. Oh, was it the Leafs? I think I got yeah. the Leafs and Canadians mixed yeah. up. I was. I think it was the Leafs against the Red Wings. I think the other one might have been the Habs. Like maybe ten or so years after that. Now you're mentioning the Islanders. I think that's right. But there was yeah. a long gap. Yeah, and then yeah. there was uh, L.A. against San Jose, and then Philly against Boston. Oh, Those were the two most re- recent. Reverse order. It was uh, Philly first, and then oh, Philly first. Then yeah. yeah. But yeah. those are the two most recent. So yeah. it, it it happens. It's just three of holes are hard to get out of, but da- like Dallas has done the for- first two parts and they've done them really well. Yeah. And I think it's like, I think Dallas is the better team. It's just Vegas has been playing better as a team. Like if that makes sense. That, ma- that makes sense. That's kind of how I feel about the series. I think Vegas is better coached i like their systems better 
I like the way they play better. I think Dallas has the edge in terms of talent, but Vegas gets more out of their players, if that makes sense. Where yeah. it's like Vegas doesn't have Jason Robertson, and Robertson has been very good in this series. He woke up finally, which he they woke needed. Up finally. But Vegas is a lot more balanced, but you go to games four and five, where who's scoring for Vegas in those games? And it's generally they're they're bigger guys on the team. They need more of their depth guys to come through. And their depth it just hasn't been as much the last couple of games. And Dallas's has come through where a guy like Ty Delandria has his first ever two goal game. Did you I did I hear that right? He was a first round pick. Oh yeah. I, it was a guy I, that I wanted the the caps to get a couple of years. I think it was twenty 18 or 19 he was a first round pick he think i think he got picked maybe a little above where people thought he was going to go but i always liked him as a prospect and it took him a couple of years but dallas over the last little bit has done a surprisingly good job at drafting in the middle of the oh, first yeah. round they might have killed the car yeah but even <laughs> still Merrill heiskanen's not a bad consolation no. prize and even still that entire draft class that one two three of heiskanen ottinger robertson like one of the best tough to beat. one of the best draft classes of the last 20 years. Yeah, if they, if they got, if they got kale, that just would have been cheating. Yeah. I would be like, it's, I always find it funny because Dallas fans are so adamant and they, they back up their guy, Miro Haskinen, but I watch him and I'm like, this dude's just not even close to kill McCarr. Like right. he's a very good defenseman, but kill McCarr is leaps and bounds better than him. Right. And I think people take it the wrong way when they say, well, he's not kill McCarr. It's like, we're saying he's not the best player right. on the planet. Merrill Heiskanen is a top pair defenseman. He is bona fide and outstanding defenseman. One of my favorite defensemen to watch. He's not Kale McCarr, and that's okay. He doesn't need to be Kale McCarr in order to be good. But you did pick Heiskanen before Kale, so yeah. that conversation does still apply. Yeah, it's tough. But like, I I watch Miro Haskin and I think he's a phenomenal player. But there's times where I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, you couldn't be doing so much more. I think there's also a little bit of Ryan Suter as my partner. Yeah, that's rough. I think we've talked about this before that if Miro Haskin had a Devon Taves, we'd probably see him be unlocked more offensively. But it's uh, it's it just always makes me chuckle because it's like they aren't even close. Like Miro Haskin's not close to Kale McCarr, and that's right. not a bad thing. And he, do, he doesn't have to be. Merrill Heiskanen can be Merrill Heiskanen and still be really, really good. But it's also at this point in the conference final last year, Kale McCarr was so unbelievably dominant that it was just a matter of, is Nathan McKinnon going to make up any ground in the Conn Smythe <laughs> yeah. Con conversation towards the end of it? And Heiskanen, if the Stars do manage to come back and win this, I don't think is really in the conversation right now. It's, it's rope hints or nothing, basically. Yeah, Hence has been slower, but Robertson's picked it up since Hence has slowed down with his yeah. goal scoring. Um, but yeah, I mean, game five, like that was probably that Dallas got their first two goal lead in the series. Uh, it was the first time the over hit in the series, which was great for me. Um, and now we go into game six uh, today. By the time you're listening, we, we've gone this whole episode and we haven't even done happy Memorial Day. Uh, pools are opening. Summer's officially beginning here pretty soon. Um so that'll be a fun game six. Who do you think wins it? It's tough because we talked in the first round and in the, the second round too, is like momentum just doesn't seem to mean a whole lot in these right. playoffs. And the stars have all the momentum right now. They're getting Jamie Ben back. I don't know. I It's a tough one. I think we're due for a little bit of a scare. I, I think I'm going to go Dallas. 
So congratulations to Vegas on moving on. See, everything you just said where it's like all the momentum is on Dallas's side makes me think that Vegas is going to win this game. And I just pumped up Dallas about how they're the better team. They have the better goalie. This just gives me major game six vibes last year between the Avs and Lightning. Honestly, you know what? I just changed my mind. The I think Vegas is going to win. I was yeah. I talked myself into Dallas. The games have been close. Vegas just barely couldn't finish them in game five. And Dallas had a strong perform, or I mean in game four, and Dallas had a good performance in the third period of game five. I think Vegas is just due to get it back. They just don't strike me as this team that's going to blow a 3-0 lead. Like they, they maybe old Vegas in that kind of situation would strike me as that kind of team. But in this situation with Bruce Cassidy and the amount of depth that they have, as long as Aiden Hill can keep it up and make the saves he needs to make, I I think Vegas is going to get it done. Yeah. I just, it feels too perfect for the stars to come back and make it to a game seven. I just think Vegas is going to find a way and it's going to be tough, but everyone's going to be betting on the Dallas Stars to win tomorrow. Everyone. And I think that Vegas is finally going to close the door. I think Eichel, he's been like flirting with the goal. I think he's going to finally get one. And it's going to be tight, but I just, I don't see Vegas blowing a 3-0 series lead. They're too well coached to do that. Or maybe this is just a thing right now where the NBA and the NHL are just going to follow the same patterns in their yeah. final where that crazy finish in the, the Celtics heat game six and the Celtics force a game seven and could be the first team in NBA history to win a series after being down three Oh, maybe everything just follows that pattern and Dallas forces a game seven. Dude, where... Do you know how many people are going to say this shit scripted if that happens in both that would leagues? So funny. <laughs> it would honestly be like, you guys are just sharing notes. At this yeah. Like, it, it'd be so perfect, but I, I think Vegas is going to get it done. I, I do. Um, Mostly just because they they have the better coach. Like Bruce Cassidy is way better than Peter DeBoer, and it's going to be tight. But I think that, or excuse me, I think Vegas is going to get it done. I would agree. I mean, I just think, like we've said, I think Vegas has a bunch of tools. But if Aiden Hill's been shaken, then that's going to turn the series on its head. And if Jake Ottinger's feeling it. What let me put this into your brain here. What are your thoughts on this? If Aiden Hill like gets shelled tomorrow, is there any way we see Jonathan Quick for game seven? I just don't know how you could put in a cold goalie for game for a game seven. Yeah, that'd be brutal. This isn't Dean Evanson we're talking about. It's it's it'd be tough. This isn't Jeremy Swayman in the first round where like at least he played like a week ago. Quick hasn't played in like well over a month and didn't even play well in the regular season either. I think you've got to ride with Aiden Hill because you just you don't have any other options. It's all oh, that leash would be so short though in Game Seven if it got oh, that far. Yeah. It definitely would be. Aiden Hill, I think, is a very interesting conversation because his career's kind of riding on this right now. Where next month we could be talking about Aiden Hill, the Stanley Cup champion, or Aiden Hill that blew a three-zero series lead and also needs a new contract where we've we've seen goalies like Matt Murray and Jordan Bennington emerge in the playoffs and all of a sudden we're, we talk about them as mainstay starting goalies. If Aiden Hill finishes this series and wins the Stanley Cup by this time next month, it, he might be starting to get put in that, that conversation as a guy who hoisted the Stanley Cup. 
he fucking he fucking signs with the uh signs with the uh uh like Oilers as as their starter as my dog Iggy is just freaking out because a garage door opened. Um that'd be yeah. funny if he signed with the Oilers. Yeah, I was thinking like the the Senators are always teams that go after goalies like that. But I think Aiden Hill is going to be an interesting guy to watch, especially in this series and especially as the offseason gets on, because I don't think it's a guy that Vegas was expecting to have to worry about in terms of contract. But he he's a UFA coming up. And no matter where Vegas finishes this season, whether they blow a 3-0 lead, lose in the Stanley Cup final or win the Stanley Cup, they only have one goalie under contract Two, if you put Robin Leonard back into the mix and that $5 million. I honestly totally forgot about that guy until you just said that. (laughs) I was just checking out their cap friendly being like, huh? Oh, yeah, that guy, Robin Leonard, who is hurt and also like being heavily sued at the same time. And didn't he have like a rattlesnake farm or some shit like that? Some kind of exotic. I think it was snakes or something like that thing. But also like, honestly, but also like in major financial trouble, like declaring bankruptcy. And I think like also being sued at the same time. So we'll see. That guy can't catch a break, man. We'll see if injuries are even the the worst of his problems coming up over the next few months. (laughs) But like Laurent Brassois is a UFA, Aiden Hill's a UFA, Jonathan Quick's a UFA, even though I can't imagine they would bring him back. But like Logan Thompson still has two years at under 800,000, which is interesting. And supposedly that's their guy. But what what if Aiden Hill wins you a cup? Yeah, that's going to be tough. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they do for sure. But, I mean, it, I never thought I'd say this, but is Sergei Bobrovsky the best goalie left in the, left in the playoffs right now? As the way he's playing, it's not even close. Yeah, I, it, it's going to be crazy because I, I think whatever team goes and faces Florida, it's Sergei Bobrovsky is playing so damn well that I don't know if I would pick anyone else over him. Right. It's going to be an interesting conversation when we eventually do do our Stanley Cup final preview, what, no matter who it is, whether it's Dallas or Vegas, if they can hold on to this 3-0 lead. But you look at Florida on the other side, they've got their feet up right now oh, yeah. waiting. And I do worry that maybe that's not the best thing for them to have this much time off before the final. Like, is Bobrovsky going to reset with this much time off? I would certainly hope not for their sake. I feel like we said the same things with the Avs last year. Because right. the Avs had what, like a week and a half before but the Avs were just, started? The Avs were just genuinely that good, though. And yeah, no, I don't disagree. But it's it's one of those things where my recency bias is going to say that it's a good thing that they're getting the time off, especially in playoff hockey. Any time off you can get, like Barkov's probably getting healthier. I'm sure Kachuk is banged up to shit. So giving them that time off, I think is a good thing, but we still like, this is a promise to every listener of the show. Griffin and I are going to become the biggest fucking Florida Panthers fans of all time, regardless who comes out of the West. It is going to be full on Panthers mania on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the funniest outcome now is Vegas blows this lead and they are forever attached to the most significant 3-0 collapse in like 80 years or whatever that is, because it it hasn't happened in the conference final and beyond since like the sixties or fifties. And then Dallas gets destroyed by Florida in the final. That is the best outcome. Yeah. It's, this is going to be the number one Florida Panthers podcast. Uh, Is there one on the network? 
there is. I think okay. it's the Florida, the Florida hockey show last night checked. All right, we'll be the second biggest ones on the network. Yeah, because uh, that's that's really where it's at. Yeah, and also Carolina on the other side. I don't know if I even mentioned this on the last episode. They've lost twelve straight conference final games dating back to two thousand and nine, where they got swept by the Penguins in 09, swept by the Bruins in twenty nineteen, and now swept by the Panthers in twenty twenty three. I don't think I've ever seen a, a, a streak like that. No, that's just brutal. I would almost rather lose in the first round than have that happen. I mean, I think I would rather go to the <laughs> conference final. I mean, they've they had some cool moments along the way, two overtime winners to end their series. But that's, that's tough because now questions are being raised about yeah. this team's ability to win. I mean, usually you don't have that when you reach the conference final. You're like, oh, great season, got swept. And, they, you know, you had Brindamore being like, yeah, but it was so close. It doesn't matter. He still got swept. Yeah. Brendamore cracks me up just because the media loves him. He's a good coach. But that dude can talk his way out of any any hot seat that he could be on. Because theoretically, he should be on the hot seat. Theoretically. But that, he's good with the media. Like, he is, he is a really, really good, like, complainer. Like him and John Cooper are pretty close to who complains like. Oh, it's Brendan most. Moore. Oh, it's it's not even close. It's Brendan Moore. You think Brendan Moore? Oh, Maybe yeah. John Cooper just sticks in my head more just because of well, after the. He, uh, after we have that. We have a connection with that. But if you put the Hurricanes in the other seat instead, and the final plays out the exact same way, the biblical amounts of complaints from Rod Brendan Moore would still be talked about. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. But I mean, if you're the Hurricanes, like. I don't think you blow this team up. Like this no. team's still good, but you need to get another top six player. That's a goal scorer. Yeah. Because what we said in the preview for the Eastern Conference final came to light. Their goal scoring dried up. I don't think, did Ajo have a goal in the Eastern Conference final? I don't think he did. And I mean, the Hurricanes, they just, they can't have that. Where, and in the last few games of the series, in game three, they get shut out. And in game four, they got some big goals. I mean, Stastny, good depth player. Tara Vinen, his first goal back from injury. Jesper Faust had a good playoff. But in a team lacking a guy, you need your closest thing to the guy in Sebastian Ajo to come through. And maybe you get Svechnikov back next year. And but Svechnikov's just another one of those guys, man. I think he's closer to having the ability to be the guy than Ajo. But I don't know, like I just the Hurricanes, I think, are going to give this current construction of the team one more go because they've been so close in recent yeah. memory. And when you've been so close, you don't want to overreact to things. But time is starting to tick on this roster a little bit. And you look at their their cap situation coming up uh, next year is going to be a reckoning for their cap situation because Sebastian Ajo is expiring next year. Taravainen next year is expiring. Nietzsche's needs a new deal. Martinuk's expiring. Drury, Jarvis, Suzuki, and guys like right now, like Foss needs a new deal. Jordan Stahl, their captain, needs a new deal. Next year, it's Shea and Pesci. And two years from now, Slavin and Burns. I mean, clock is ticking on the Carolina Hurricanes. They're not the, the cute young team anymore. I mean, the, they've had some success but they really need to to figure this out sooner than later. Yeah, like but this has got to be this year. 
it's got to be so frustrating to be a Hurricanes fan because your team is this close. Like if they had a Nathan McKinnon on this team, they probably would have won like three or four cups by now. Like, like they are so good one through four lines, but they just don't have that elite goal scorer. They just don't have that. And the thing is like, it's got to be so frustrating for the Hurricanes organization because you cannot knock the phenomenal work that they have done over the last couple of years in terms of their scouting and their drafting and a lot of their analytics and bringing in guys with value. It seems like they've hit on almost every move, but you just can't replace that true franchise cornerstone. They've come really, really close. But And they have a whole bunch of prospects that they've gotten in later rounds that are valuable and very well may turn into a bunch of NHL players. But are any of them going to move that needle enough to get them over the top? I think the, Hur- I think the Hurricanes need to be bold this offseason and maybe make a big swing for somebody. I don't know what that would be. They got really close to Matt Kachuk last year. And how do you think they're feeling about that right now? That they, oh, if they had Matthew Kachuk, this team would be so sick. They would have won. I mean, yeah. not a big stretch of the imagination to say you take Kachuk off the Panthers and you put him on the Hurricanes, and maybe the Hurricanes are in the Stanley Cup final right now. I don't think that's that big of a leap in logic to make, but it's a it's a decent season for the Hurricanes. They won the Metro and won two rounds, but again, find themselves in a very similar spot where they went on a run and got swept in the conference final again. And that stands right now, the only sweep of the playoffs. Is it really? That's crazy. Yeah, my bad. Uh, I had myself muted for a second because Daisy drinks water very loudly. So <laughs> I had myself muted for a second, but I was saying that the only 3-0 before this was Florida and Toronto. And Toronto was able to force game five. This was the only one that was a sweep. And That's anything, crazy. I, we, there was no 3-0s in the first round at all. Uh no, it was three one Boston. Yeah, you're right. That's crazy. I don't know why that's crazy to me. I feel like last year there were a ton of sweeps. Yeah, I mean, well, we had two of them. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we were sweeps, but what a fun time that was last year's run. I mean, yesterday is the time we were recording this was the one year anniversary of what I like to call the Helm Breaker in Game Six, where Darren Helm, I don't need to recount the story. We all know it. Wins game six with less than five seconds to go and sends the avalanche to the Western Conference final for the first time in over 20 years. That whole run. I mean, now that we're almost a year removed from it, or at least 11 months removed from the Stanley Cup win, it seems less real the further you get away from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I will remember that Darren Helm goal probably till the day I get dementia and die um, because... That was just such a cool moment. Me and you, we couldn't find a bar to watch it at, so we just came back and watched it at my house. And we both were in shock. And we're in the trust tree. I think we're far enough removed from it. I totally had the goal spoiled for me on Twitter. Totally. Okay. Oh, yeah. That, that, oh, yeah. You're, okay, that explains your reaction <laughs> a lot more now because I just thought you were stunned. Like you just, you just kind of like sat there wide-eyed. And I think I almost hit the ceiling. One of my only regrets about that goal is that I didn't set up the the laptop before overtime. Because if overtime did come, I would have done like I always did back home and just like set up recording so that we could record the reaction to it. I wish I did that with like two minutes left so we could have gotten that. So I, you have like a very high ceiling. You have like a vaulted yes. ceiling. And I think I got really, really close to actually touching the top of it with how I flew off of that couch. 
that thing's up at my ceiling right now. Yeah. I mean, that, that is pretty high. Um, and I still got pretty close. I don't think I've ever yeah. jumped higher than that. Yeah. I, I will remember that forever. And it, it was so cool. And it just makes you want to do it again. Like I was, um, like I was, I'm not going to say I was thankful that the abs lost, but like we just needed a break. And it's been like what, almost a month now since they, they went out. Like a few days short of a month at this few point. days short of a month. I, I need abs hockey back so bad. I, I thought I needed a break. Three weeks was long enough. Like I, I, I need it back. And hey, everybody, hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsor at DraftKings Sportsbook. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook as right now new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. As we get towards the end of the first round and into the beginning of the second round, DraftKings has got you covered with same-game parlays and all of the best lines and odds you can hope for on any sportsbook. So what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. See show notes for details at DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Now, back to the episode. As you look back on this run, it was probably the most perfect playoffs like do you ever remember being like super stressed at all there were times i was stressed but you went 16 and 4 right you were you're walking out of most of those games feeling on top of the world only four times were you ever upset at the end of a game in a playoff run like that's that's ridiculous yeah, that's we were so spoiled, dude. We were so spoiled. We swept two series. Like we went yeah. probably the least stressful first round of all time. Or like maybe last year against two years ago against St. Louis was relatively stress-free for the most part. You had one in that in game two that got stressful. Outside of that, completely outclassed Nashville in that series. And for as like as much as we talk about the second round against St. Louis, we were up three one in that series and destroyed them in three and four. Where like those games were not that close. Yeah, like it was. That series was stressful just for the fact that they lost two games, and then you can say the same for the final. Because the funniest, we... the funniest part is you talk about they lost four games. Realistically, they only should have lost two. Yeah. They blew yeah. two games. Yeah. Still, like we only should have lost game two against St. Louis and game three against Tampa. Other than that, like game five, they choked that game and it gets buried that they won that series the next game in the incredible manner that they did. And game five against Tampa, like it wasn't nearly as bad of a choke, but they looked nervous. And, oh, yeah. if, they, and if they did lose game six, they were not winning game seven. No. No, but it was the thing was, is like that Tampa series. We we're going to look back on that and we're going to go. Yeah, it was four two, but I really thought the abs kind of dominated the lightning for a majority of those games. Like if it wasn't for Vasilevsky playing out of his mind in game six, that score could have been five one. Yeah, I mean, game six 
if they really pushed, I think they could have gotten some more goals, but they were so laser locked in. Oh, yeah. Like they were not even, they were not going to push that puck up ice at all. Everything. Well, and that's, I feel like that's what the Avs were missing this year is if you go back and look in both game sixes against uh, St. Louis and Tampa, those were two of the most defensive, perfect identity periods we have ever seen. Like, do you remember them having a period like that this year? Not too many times. And I, the problem with that lies in line matching where you don't have a line outside of your top guys that you can reliably throw out there to match up. I mean, against Seattle, we never had the line matchups ever at any point. The only thing we had was our top line and you go to St. Louis and you go to Tampa where you could, you could throw out any line you wanted and feel just fine. Let your top guys rest and your fourth line was one of the lines that made Tampa want to go home, especially earlier on in that series. Darren Helm, one of those guys that drove the lightning crazy. There was nothing close to that in the regular season and least of all in the playoffs. Yeah, it, it it's I don't think that identity's gone from the Avs. I just think they were a skeleton of what they were right. when that when that run happened. You saw flashes of it. As even in the playoffs, you saw flashes of that team but they they didn't have the manpower to back it up. And I think a lot of that, you look at Jared Bednar's comments during that series, basically like if McKinnon needs to play 30 minutes, he'll play 30 minutes. That would have never have been the case in the, in the Stanley Cup run. It's, he didn't have the guys that he trusted enough to throw out there, so he had to go with the guys who got him that far, with the big guns. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that we've talked about in previous episodes that we think the abs are going to rebuild it like they have to. They have to if they're going to be they serious. Have, they, the there are five people under contract on yeah. the board side right now. I mean, you kind of have to. Yeah, they're going to have to. Um, but man, last year, it's crazy to think it's only been a year. It feels hasn't like it's even. been like four. I know yeah. it hasn't even been a year yet. Um, and just so many vivid memories from it. And I know the abs are going to get back there. But man, it is. It's crazy to think it's only not even been a year. Yeah, it's only it's only been a year since the second round. Yeah, since since the the Darren Helm goal. I mean, that game six, we were stressed about that game. We were talking like, oh, there's not many times we were stressed. I can tell you, you were stressed before that game, <laughs> sitting in your house watching that game. You were stressing, and so was I, because we knew which game game six against St. Louis. Oh yeah, yeah, we were stressing about that one because the, the way they lost game five. And we're sitting there. The Blues were up early and they were up two to one going into the third. We were like, I don't really want to go to Paul Arena no. for two days, man. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I didn't want to. And you've really, like, your track record for games would have been brutal. Like, could you imagine if you lost game seven? Thank God we didn't have to get that far. Yeah. But if also if we lost to Tampa in game six, like we were having the conversation, like you're not going, (laughs) you're not allowed to come. If they play game seven, you can like go to one of the watch parties and we'll find you afterwards or something. You are not coming in that arena. Yeah. Thank God it never got to that point. And we got to do all that fun stuff, but man, I miss those times, simpler times. There's nothing like stressing over playoff hockey. I miss it. I mean, as nice as it is for this, pain of a season to be done you just want it to be next year's playoff already yeah. like you, you want to get it back you want i just it. want it to be october yeah you just you want to get it back immediately you just you i don't even want october I, I want april next year 
already. I just wanted to... That's way too far in advance, man. I can't I can't think that far ahead. I know. But I just I just want to get to the good stuff. I yeah. miss I miss that feeling so much. Just never Let's keep it bad. short here. Let's look forward to July first. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. We well, only have to we only have to do July first. We can do the draft. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. There we go. But yeah, what a great run. Um, as you can tell, this has just been there's not a whole lot of hockey news going on, guys. Like it, it's there's literally one series going on. Um, and other NHL news, I saw something that related to the show, and I know you probably have some thoughts on. Uh, your man, Peter Laviolette, is the front runner to get the New York Rangers job. And the floor is yours, my friend. Oh boy. I mean, as a Capitals fan, this is great news. This is <laughs> very, very great news. I mean, it just seems like for the Rangers, this is just firing the coach and then bringing in basically the same thing. Like, what does Gerard Gallant do that differently from Peter Lavila? It's an old established coach who's been around for a while and won things a decade ago. Like, what's going to change in New York with hiring Laviolette that wasn't under Gallant? Like, he's he's not going to play any of the young guys. It's not going to fix anything. I, I, I just don't know the thought process behind this. Like, you might as well have just kept Gallant. Yeah, might as well. Uh, we've talked about this. The NHL just recycles head coaches. Uh, it's crazy how much they recycle. Like, Peter Laviolette was a good coach, what, 15 years ago? You know, and I think he still is a good coach, but it just for the Rangers doesn't make any sense to be doing this. Like, in the Caps, it just never worked. They, the, the players didn't love his systems. He isolated a lot of young guys and forced them down to the minors and didn't let a lot of guys develop. Forced Jacob Vrana out. Kuznetsov wants a trade. Like a whole lot of young guys on this team. Like Jonas Siegenthaler as well. A guy that they really could have used after trading him. Just never got a good enough shake under Laviolette. And I think this is the opposite of what the Rangers need to be doing right now. They they took the wrong path at the trade deadline this year. Trying to, to force this team into being a true Stanley Cup contender right away when they really should be focusing on trying to get the most out of Alexi Lafreniere right now. And those high-end guys, I just don't think Laviolette is the guy that's going to be able to, to do that for them. You know, I, I'll, I will fully clown on them when this thing is official, but I just don't see how this makes any sense. And the, his tenure with the Caps was not good. It no, was just straight, straight up not good. Yeah, they, In their first year, I mean, the, the thing with Laviolette, how I justified it, is Laviolette goes somewhere, and in their first three years, they make a run. Where Carolina, he won a Stanley Cup with them. He goes to Philly as a seven seed. They make a run to the Stanley Cup final. In Nashville, I think in his third or second or third year, makes a run to the Stanley Cup final. And then with the Caps, they got bounced badly by Boston. I mean, he got embarrassed by Bruce Cassidy in that series. And then you go to the year after against... Florida in the playoffs and they had a shot in that series. I know you look at it as president's trophy winner against second wild card. You can't be too mad. You can, that was, they really blew that series. Aren't they up three, nothing in game five. Yeah. They're up two one in the series. They dominated game three and they were up in game four, blew that lead late and lost in overtime game five. They're up three Oh lost five to three. And then in the third period of game six, they were leading again had to tie the game with a minute left. And the overtime was one of the most lifeless ones I've ever seen a team play. 
in overtime and then they're done. And this year it never worked. Like it was clear probably in like November that Laviolette was not going to come back to this team and coaching staff needed a full redux. And I just don't know how the Rangers look at that and go, that's That's our guy. We need this. You know who the caps need to bring back? I've seen it in the rumors. This is Instagram rumors, but Bruce Boudreaux is rumored to be coming yes, back. That is very much an Instagram rumor. <laughs> For all that is worth. I would love Bruce back. We're not winning a cup with him, but he would get Ovi to pass Gretzky. And honestly, that's all that matters. Yeah. What about uh what about your boy Todd Reardon? Uh I don't think <laughs> I don't think even Pittsburgh wants him anymore. We li- we literally banished him to Pittsburgh and they're they're like, dude, we don't want this guy either. That's fucking funny. But yeah, that's the coaching news. Thank God the Avs have their coach figured out for a while. We, we don't have to worry about that for yeah. a long time. Um, but, like, I I, I want to say we've talked about this, but I don't know if we have. Why is it that the NHL just recycles all of their head coaches? I feel like that's it's the only sport that recycles head coaches as much as any other league. Like, the NFL, like, a coach maybe gets two shots. NBA, they maybe get two I think in the NHL, in the, it feels like coaches get four or five shots. I think in the NFL, there's just so many coaching positions that you can just poach a guy, like a defensive coach from somewhere and call it a brand new head coach when really they've been in football for most of their life already. Yeah. In hockey, there's just no creativity. I think it really is just that. No one is willing to take a chance on a guy outside of an organization. Because like, what was the last one? Like David Quinn? Like like a true outside of the NHL coach, where he they brought him from college, basically, which is not that. Hextall was Hextall before him. Well, Hextall, or was he the same time? Hextall came. Hextall Hextall came from like a college team. Uh, Hextall has been around for a while. You're talking Hextall, right, Dave Hextall? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was with the Flyers for a long time. See, I thought he was the coach of like North Dakota or some shit like that. He, well, he might have been. With, I'm off the top of my head, he was the Flyers head coach. He was an assistant in Toronto, and then he went to Seattle for their for their open head. Interesting. Job. Well, and then Jim Montgomery was the DU coach, right? And he was, but he was with Dallas already. Right. So it's and then he was with St. Louis in an assistant role for a couple of years before he ends up in Boston. I mean, it's just it's an endless cycle. I think the worst, even worst one, is general managers. Oh like, yeah. To me, that one is inexcusable. There are plenty of people that are, I think, are capable of running NHL offices, and you're gonna waste an interview on Peter fucking Shirelli, Toronto, Pittsburgh. You guys are gonna waste time even interviewing that guy, Mark Bergevin. Are you kidding me? Guys who Crazy, like man. the fact yeah. that we're even entertaining Jim Benning as a GM candidate for any team is crazy. Yeah. What do you it need? Is. What do you need to talk to them about? Look at their track record and how they ran their teams and tell me that does not speak for themselves. The only justification I have is you ask them, what would they do? You write it down, thank them for their time and never do any of that. It makes sure you go as far away from that plan as possible. Well, didn't Shirelli draft McDavid and Dreisaitl though? Good for him. I I mean, he can hang his hat on that. Like that's for some NHL people, that's all they need to know. He won the draft lottery. And got Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl was third overall, like third or fourth. Yeah. Third or fourth overall. And even then there was like, I was a thing I saw a couple of days ago that the Oilers front office was sweating. They drafted the wrong guy because they saw Calgary was super happy about getting Sam Bennett instead. 
Yeah. Like, oh man, did we get the wrong guy here? They were regretting it. Yeah, it sounds like Edmonton. But it's the NHL is just one of those ones where I feel like it's like, why do we just recycle and reuse? Like you look at some of the best head coaches uh, in the in the NHL. John Cooper came from nowhere. Jared Bednar came from the Lake Erie Monsters in the AHL. Bruce Cassidy. I don't know where Bruce Cassidy came from. I'm going to be honest with I don't. I don't have that much knowledge. But But like Jared Bednar is a guy like was genuinely an outside of the box hire when he was brought into the organization, paid his dues in the AHL and won everywhere he's ever been like he was not a guy that's been tossed around the league several times was a genuine outside of the box hire from an organization that pays attention to those kinds of things and now they just have one of the best coaches in the world it's just it shows a lack of creativity from general managers and the the rangers are just not a very creative team they don't they don't do things creatively because they have billions of dollars that they can just throw at problems so it doesn't force them to get inventive yeah and james dolan's their owner so i mean that's tough but uh we're gonna have to wait and see i i really really am interested to see how these head coaching spots fall it's kind of weird none of them have been filled yet um i feel like we're just waiting for dominoes to fall right now i feel like once you start to get into the stanley cup final and that first trade comes through then we're gonna start to see things get set in motion but it's it's the spot you're in as a team that loses in the first round where you're halfway interested in hockey and just kind of waiting for things to be all about right. you again. Because this time last year, we did not give a shit about the coaching no. carousel. No. Like, what are the abs going to do at second line center? Like, no, we want to win a cup right now. I don't yeah. care what's happening next year. But when yeah. you're sitting on the sidelines, you got nothing else to do. You got nothing else to do. But we're getting close to the end of the show. We do have a couple mailbag questions that we can uh, kind of wrap the show up with. Uh, so fire them off at me, Griffin. Fire yeah. them off. We got we got some good mail. I expected the mailbag stuff to kind of die down after the first few times we did it, but we got a couple of good questions from you guys today. We're going to start with one from Adam asking, what are realistic expectations for Alex Newhook next season, and what would be enough to get Avs fans calling him a bust to quiet down? I'm not calling him that, but Avs Twitter seems divided on this topic. So Christian, what do you think? Well, for me, I think, I think it's the same ex like fifty points. I, I think that's realistic for him. Uh, he had what thirty eight this year. Yeah, I think it was thirty eight, but uh, I think fifty is fair. He had thirty and eighty two. He had thirty. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy with fifty. Yeah, and with New Hook, I think the problem is lying in the fact that last year when he had 33 points in 71 games, people, especially me, liked his game a lot and liked a lot of the small things that he did. Understanding that that point total is probably going to see a bit of a jump over the next couple of years. And then this year that didn't really happen where he didn't really get those big line minutes. And even when he did, it wasn't that impressive. It's just that jump didn't come this year. And then in the playoffs, he had his chances to be a hero, but is again, is one of those guys that had a pretty bad series against the Kraken. And it is not fair to call him a bust. It is way too early to call him a bust, especially for a guy that you've gotten 159 games out of and gotten 66 points out of. That's not bust territory for a 22-year-old who was drafted 16th overall in 2019. 
I mean, you mentioned a couple episodes ago that you look at 16th overall picks. He sits right on the line of like, yeah, this is kind of what you get from guys this age. The thing that needs to happen is I don't think you can put like a real point total on it. I think you just need to see that evolution in his game. And I think that 50 points would come naturally with that for him and his skill set. But there needs to be more than just for a five game stretch. Alex Newhook looks good. It needs to be a consistent stretch of he is contributing on and off the ice. For me, it's either 20 goals or 50 points. Because if you can get 20 goals out of him, that's a really good, because let's be honest, Alex Newhook, he's not going to play second line. He's going to be a third line, fourth line guy. If you can get 20 goals from him, you're feeling really fucking good. Um, Like you said, I don't view him as a bust. I think where a lot of people get divided is you just hear first round pick and you automatically assume that he's going to be a superstar. Right. And, and maybe Alex Newhook is never going to be the the stud that maybe we were hyping him up two years ago to be. And maybe that's fine. But you do need more from him. He didn't take the step this year. Where last year, the, your first full year is pretty much house money so long as you're doing something. And he did something in his first full season. He got 33 points, 13 goals on a loaded team. And I I loved his game, even when he didn't have the puck and when he wasn't scoring this year, again, it just, it wasn't the case with that. But we do also need to remember that there was a point in time that Alex Newhook was second and third on this team and even strength scoring Right when Nathan McKinnon was dealing with a lot and it was only Miko Rantanen scoring ever for this team. It was Alex Newhook granted, not stiff competition was the guy leading that pack for second for even strength scoring. And in terms of his minutes, I don't know if he's going to get a big jump in minutes, but he, he's he got to earn it because he was not a guy that Bednar could trust down the stretch or trust in the playoffs. I think 50 points is when people will leave him alone, but even still, I think 50 points, like that might be a lot for him. Next yeah, maybe 40, 40, maybe the, I, ju- I just need to, there needs to be confidence in him and I don't, again, I don't know if there's an exact point total that you can put on it. It's just you know it when you see it, when you can trust somebody to come through for you in big moments. And he wasn't that last year. I think the bare minimum is 40 points. I think 41 points, the half half a point a game kind of thing. In 82 games, 41 points. And the thing is, if Alex Newhook scores those goals in game seven, we're not having this conversation because now he's a hero and everyone loves him. And this is just a guy we have for the future. Right. I it's, I think the biggest thing that new hook needs next year is just, he needs to be in a role and just stay in that role. Right. The best we saw of Alex new hook was, I think it was like a three week stretch where he played with O'Connor and Cogliano. Yeah. It was the best Alex new hook was on the third line. That was one of the best third lines we had all season was new hook Cogliano and O'Connor. I think if you can put him on the wing this season on the third line, find him a solid center and another solid lineman, because you're pretty much rebuilding your entire third right. line this season. If Comfer is not coming back, maybe you do stick new hook down the middle and have him play third line center and just keep him in that role there and hope you're getting growth out of him. Either way, you, you surround him with some decent line mates, see what you get. I think next season is the earliest that we can talk about like, okay, maybe this isn't going to work out here. And he needs to just get, stay in that same role, just stay there and you're good. 
right. think that's where he needs to be. And I think I've seen like the Tyson Jost comparison and everything, like another guy who got drafted high. It's like Jost stuck around for a while because he had his uses. And like he was at least carved out a role in the bottom six and also had like some pretty important goals oh, in yeah. the playoffs and some important goals in the regular season and showed flashes. You're hoping Just, for more than that from New Hook, though. With Jost, it was tough. He was a top 10 pick. So right. it's like you're expecting more of a top 10 pick. Like, remember, I remember when they drafted Jost and it was like, this is the next Jonathan Taves. And I'm like, that is I crazy comparison. I love player comparisons at the draft because that is where unrealistic expectations are. Yeah. You see, it's like he's the next Jonathan Taves. Okay. So he's a defensive player. Right. Plays, he plays a two-way game. There's no discernible way that you determined that this guy's comparable is Jonathan Taze yeah. by watching Guess him. Guess who play. it was? Guess who the analyst was? Wh- whose was? Guess who the analyst was who said that about Jost? Uh, Come Ed, on. Eddie you can get No. Pierre Maguire. Yeah! yeah. It was Pierre Maguire, man. I fucking I missed that guy on TV. I said I said Eddie O because that's, that's a Blackhawk guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but Pierre Maguire, yeah, the guy. I honestly, <laughs> now that he's not here, um, I miss him. I miss, I miss him, man. I'm not not because I missed him, but I missed what he would bring up and just like what the genuine hell is even happening. Yeah, how would he say Miko Rantanen's name? Rantanen. Rantanen. Tommy Wilson. Christopher Latang. Like he would just make up names for people. Yeah, it was, I love it. I miss that guy. ESPN, bring him back. It was so annoying, but also the reason he's not on TV anymore is because he got hired by the senators to yeah. management role, which he doesn't have anymore. But that that to me was one of the funniest hirings of all time. Oh yeah, I, I miss Pierre Maguire just because he was so easy to make fun of. Yeah, um, he could be back with TNT with Keith Jones going I mean, to the maybe. Flyers. Maybe that'd be fun. I would. I need that, that in my life again. I need to make fun of him again. But yeah, let, let's. That's a wrap for New Hook on that. It, it's. We'll have this conversation again next year, and yeah. we'll see how next year goes. And we'll, we'll have a more further in-depth conversation when we do our season review right. in July and everything in that in that gap where nothing's going to be happening for a little bit. We'll have that full probably like half-hour conversation on New Hook again and what we need to see from him next year. But last year was a disappointment for him. Yes. There were things, but not enough. And this year needs to be kind of a make or break for him for the future with the team and what we can expect from him if this is going to be a legitimate top six option in the future. Hey, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsors at Raycon. If you're anything like me, you've been asking yourself the question of what is wrong with headphones today? Why is everything so expensive? Why does everything sound so bad? And why does it just never fit in my ears? But thankfully, our sponsor today at Raycon has got you covered. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Raycon believes that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of those other big name tech brands. They have easy and free return guarantees. And best of all, they've got plenty of features. Three customizable sound profiles, noise isolation, crystal clear call quality, and eight hours of playtime on their everyday earbuds and their water and sweat resistant. And what I love the most, they fit 
They've got custom gel tips for the perfect, most comfortable in-ear fit. What a crazy concept. Headphones that actually fit in your ears. So what are you waiting for? Go to Raycon.com THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com THPN to score 15% off. Now, back to the episode. So wait for that one. Let's get to a question from Eric B., Asking if Jonathan Taze is making too much money, do you explore trading him this offseason or ride? Devon Taves, Devon Taves, not did Jonathan Taves. Did I say Jonathan again? You did. You oh did. Oh my God, man. <laughs> I can't believe that. Every time we talk about Jonathan Taze, like the next three times we talk about Devon Taze, I say Jonathan. I don't. Yeah, I think Jonathan just rolls off the tongue more. But <laughs> it, he didn't even put Jonathan in there, he just said Taze. I made that up. <laughs> It's just that if Taze is asking for too much money, do you explore trading him this offseason or ride out the contract? That was just a completely unforced error. I didn't need to do that. But still, All right. So if Taze is asking for too much money, do you explore trading him this offseason? Oh, man, that's a tough question. Um, I feel like we've talked about this before, but if if he is, the way you sustain a dynasty and a long team build is you have to entertain the idea of trading him this offseason. I know it would suck not to have Devon Taves for a year, but if you could get like, because what do you think a realistic trade package is for Devon Taves? I I have absolutely no idea because it can't be futures. If you're no. trading Devon Taves, there needs to be some form of recuperation in that trade that at least somewhat makes that worth it. Because if you're, if I almost would argue, if you're trading Taze, you're almost punting on the season. You're not, right. you're not going to win without that guy, as we saw several times two seasons ago and last season. When Taze isn't in the lineup, the team loses. They're not that good without without Devon Taze, Devon Taze, to keep them grounded. I don't know. I genuinely have no idea because you would need a replacement on defense. I think I think you can get away with putting. Bo with Kale. I think you can get away with that. You'd at least need a good second pair replacement to play with Sam Gerard. It, it's it's a tough, tough conversation to have because if, if he's asking for nine million dollars, like something like you just legitimately cannot give him, you have to explore it for sure. But also understand that you're not getting a player like Devontae's back. That's what I'm saying. Like it. It's the smart thing to do would be if you find the right trade, you trade him if you can't resign him. But also the fan in me realizes that fuck it. If you're gonna lose him anyway, just ride it out this last year and what play I, with Devon Taves on his like contract year, he's gonna be absurd. Right. That's kind of what I think. Cause the only one like the one that comes to mind right away when we think of a trade for Taze is William Nylander where a guy like is on an expiring contract, I can see that kind of swap taking place, but I don't think that makes the abs better. I I think the abs get worse because of that deal, not because Nylander is bad, but because Devon Taze is just so important to this team and being the glue on the back end that allows Kale McCarr to go and activate, that losing that and just getting a, a, a very good top six winger, this team's not better because of that. Like I... I would almost say that even if he is asking for too much money, you just ride it. Right. You just ride you just ride it out and see what you can do this season and see what you can do in another round of negotiations in the offseason. And if you lose him, you 
you still got a season of Devontae's out of it. And if you can find a way to build a really solid team, and like if you win a Stanley Cup with Devontae's on the team next year and he walks, does that suck? Yes, but you won. It's the casual- you imagine contract year Devontae's how fucking good this guy's going to be this year. Yeah, exactly my point. Like he's probably he's gonna be so good. probably going to be amazing. I don't know how he could ask for nine million dollars, but like just purely for the sake of conversation, if he does, you you can't give him that. No. You can't. I mean, for a guy who's going to be in his thirties, you wonder when that age is going to start to to kick in for him. He's already twenty nine, and he's going to be thirty next February. And when you do sign that contract, if you sign him for five years, which expires when he's 35, 36, 37, 38. Like it's, there's going to come a time where Devon isn't Devon anymore because time comes for you, for us all. It does. I, this, this is, I've said it multiple times on several episodes. The moment July 1st comes this year and he's eligible for an extension, this is going to be the conversation. This is going to be Nazem Kadri on crack. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's going to be bad. But I think the he's going to be with the Avs next year. But I think that's the safe thing to say. I say the percentage he gets traded. I'm not going to say it's zero. I'm going to say ten. Yeah, 10%. I think I think ten percent is fair. Where one out of ten times a team steps to the plate and makes a genuine hockey trade that makes sense for the Avs and their future. It's not going to be for first round picks. It's not going to be for prospects or draft picks or anything like that. It's going to have to be a swap of some kind, maybe even for a guy with term somehow, somehow find a way to make a trade like that work where you give up one year of Devontae's for three to four years of somebody else. That's the only way I can see this making sense. Because again, I just, the, the taste for Nylander thing is what comes to mind immediately. But again, I just don't see that making the abs better. Do you think they win a Stanley Cup with Taze or do you think they win it with Nylander? I mean, to me, the answer is obvious. Do you take Taze? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's Devontae is going to be with the Avs next year, regardless of what happens. Like it, the smart thing to do would probably be to trade him if he's not going to resign, but, but you only get a you only get a couple legitimate runs at a cup, and your team is better with Devontae's. And if you yeah. lose him, you lose him. I mean, like that's just what common logic says. Okay, he's not going to sign. Okay, then we should trade him. We're talking about Devontae's. Yeah. And the same thing, we just saw the same thing with Nazem Kadri. Like, yeah, it sucks to lose these guys for nothing. But if the Avs, again, if they have a really good offseason and fill a lot of the holes on this team, are they not the Stanley Cup favorites? I think it's yeah. at least a fair question to ask. If they're not the Stanley Cup favorites, they're probably going to be top three. Yeah. And you really want to take Devontae's off of that. I I just don't think so. I My my answer, because we've kind of given five answers this entire time, is no, you ride it out. I think you give a player like Devontae's who is that good and that talented and the perfect sidekick for for Kale McCarr, I think you just let it run and you see where it takes you. Maybe it's a cup. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to be smart, but then my fandom got in the way and it was like, yeah, you're, you're not trading Devontae. So even if he leaves, he leaves, man. And, you know, maybe it is just smart to keep him because, again, this is Devon Taze, a guy who on the Avs has been so important ever since we acquired him, where when he's not in the lineup, the team noticeably suffers. They've very few times been able to survive when Devon Taze is out of the lineup. And I just have a hard time picturing a future where he's not here. 
And at least if he walks in UFA next next offseason, you have a whole offseason to plan for that. And if you if you know he's going to walk, like let's say he asks for $9 million this offseason, management can plan for this and plan to replace him somehow. You have a full season to talk about something like that and how you're going to do it. I just think it makes sense to ride it out. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So we'll stop there. I'm sure we'll have that conversation at nauseum over the next year. The second, again, the second July 1st comes around and Devontae's does not sign an extension. This is going to, you're going to hate this conversation soon. I promise. Oh. This conversation is going to be surrounding every conversation with the team. Absolutely. What are they going to do with Devontae's? I promise you, everyone, you're going to be so sick of it. Yeah, everyone will be, but we'll, we'll, we'll get through it. Yeah, we'll get through it. So we'll move on to the last mailbag question for today. This is something that I, I actually wanted this episode to be about because I thought Dallas was going to lose by now. And the question is from Daniel. What central team is the Avs' biggest threat for the foreseeable future? See, now what I wanted was I wanted to do a full central division wrap-up once Dallas lost, looking at the seasons for all the central teams and what to expect from the future. Might have to delay that a little bit if Dallas loses in game six or if they just win entirely. But we'll keep this question constrained to one team for now. What central team do you think is the Avs' biggest threat for the foreseeable future? I think Dallas is the easy answer. But the sneaky one to me is the Arizona Coyotes or whatever team they're going to be. Um, just because they're, they seem to be building the right way and they always give the abs so much fucking trouble and they're a good coach team. And I think that's kind of a sleeper for a team that's going to be good in a couple of years. Yeah. I like that answer. I mean, the easy answer is Dallas. They have the the young guys. They're in the conference final right now. Are not out yet. They still have a chance to move on to the Stanley Cup final and potentially win it. The team with Jason Robertson and the team that's done a very good job drafting over the last couple of years. I mean, you look at their draft history, especially like with these mid first round picks they've had. They've done a very good job. I mean, they got Wyatt Johnston twenty third overall in twenty twenty one. And I don't know if Maverick Bork is going to turn into anything, but I remember that being heralded as a very good, yeah. it's hard, it's hard to keep track of everybody's prospects. You'll right. have to forgive me, but I mean, Thomas Harley is a the guy they got at 18th overall in 2019 tied to Landria. They got at 13th overall in 2018. They've hit on a lot of these picks and that sets you up for the future. Robertson's young hints is still in his mid twenties and is only in year one of his contract extension. Jake Ottinger is still young. I think that's the easy answer, way more than a team like Minnesota, who has so many cap problems coming up and has not shown the ability to really make that push in the playoffs. Dallas has done it, and now that they've done it with Robertson and their youngerish team, they've put themselves in a spot where once Ben and Sagan, and you can argue they already have, start to decline and start to get phased out of that team, they don't need to go through a retool or a rebuild or anything like that. You can argue they'll be better off for it because they already have their next generation on the top line right now. Just that kind frees of up like what nineteen million dollars? <laughs> a ridiculous amount of money. And yeah. like Tyler Sagan's not going anywhere anytime soon because he's until twenty twenty seven at nine point eight five. Fuck. 
but Ben has two years left after this one. So next season and the year after that. And Pavelski has one year at 3.5. That's kind of the old guard of the stars, even though Pavelski is a late addition to that. He still, I think, fits into that timeline of the old guard. They're set up to compete for a long while here. They've done a good job drafting, even though they really hadn't for a long time before that. I don't think it's a coincidence that when they start to draft well again, they finally break out of that perpetual wheel of mediocrity that they were seemingly stuck in for a long time. I don't know if they'll ever be like the Avs' biggest rival, but I think year over year, I think Dallas is just always going to be there. I think you might see Minnesota up there a whole bunch of times and dip back down. But I just, I just think Dallas is always going to be there. But in terms of foreseeable future, like future future, it's Connor Bedard and Blackhawks. Like it's going to take a little while, but if Bedard's any indication, that team's probably going to be pretty good a little sooner than we'd like. Maybe Damn. probably five years. We're going to be very sick. I that. wouldn't sleep on the blues either. Like I, I think they're in a bad spot right now. I think they're in a bad spot, but if Cairo and Thomas continue their ascension, which they both kind of plateaued this year, that could be a sneaky team. Even still, I don't know if those guys are really going to be superstars. I think they're very, very good players that are going to continue to grow. But Cairo, like he's already 25 and 75 points last year, 73 this year. I think that's definitely a guy at his peak could probably hit about 90-ish points or something like that. Very good player. Robert Thomas, elite puck disher, 100%. But I think they're kind of in a rut right now where they've committed a lot of money on defense to guys yeah. who are not great. No. Falk, Falk is fine. Krug is fine, I guess. But Pareko is like, you're paying him the guy money until 2030 for a guy who just does better when he has someone in front of him, as we saw yeah. throughout his career. Letty's still making 4 million bucks. I, I, I think they have to figure out how the hell they're going to fix this defense before they can really start to get back into that conversation. And four more years of Jordan Bennington is not going to help that either. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe it's just, I expect the blues to be better, but now that you say that out loud, they do kind of suck. You know, I just, I think, I mean, they have the first round picks, they have their own, they have Dallas's and they have Toronto's first round pick this year. So they have three. I mean, maybe they can attach some of those and ship off some of those contracts. I don't know. I just, I think there is a process here for St. Louis before they're really back in true contention again. I think they're going to be in the middle for a little bit. I don't think they're going to be truly bad. I think they're going to be Nashville for the next little bit. Like they might, That's make, fair. they might make the playoffs, but doing real damage. I don't really know. Yeah. I don't either, but yeah, I think Dallas is the right answer. And then Arizona and uh, Chicago are like teams to keep an eye on. You see, I, I just, I cannot in good faith say Arizona until all this shit dies down yeah. because like you look at what they're doing. Okay. Look, they got Nick Schmaltz. They've got Clayton Keller. Look at all these younger guys that have come in. Who's to say any of them want to be there. True. And, like all it takes is Nick Schmaltz being like, get me out of here. They oblige and trade him. And Clayton Keller goes, what the fuck trade me now. That was my guy. And now Clayton Keller has gone. And then you get Barrett Hayton being like, well, what am I supposed to do now? It just seems like a never ending cycle of this team is a mess. And that drags down to the players. 
I yeah. think if it was any other team in any other situation, I think you're definitely onto something. But until they have somewhere to go, I just cannot see them getting out of their own way for a while. That's fair. I think you look at it on paper, they've got the draft picks, they've got the prospects, they've got a guy to build around in Clayton Keller, but I don't know. It just seems like such a long process still. Maybe one day it will be, but until they either have a home in Houston or anywhere else or find a way to settle in Arizona, I just, I can't, I can't make that jump yet. I can't either, but I also saw something on Instagram that I wanted to send you to. Uh, it was a hypothetical trade where the Avs get Clayton Keller. <laughs> if, if Clayton Keller's available, that, there are going to be 31 teams interested in that. Yeah, that cracked me up. I saw that. I was like, there's just no way this happens. No, I can't. I can't picture that happening. Yeah. I would love it, but there's a reason I focus on uh, Nick Schmaltz instead of Keller because I just think that's way more realistic. Yeah. What is Keller? He's at... 7.15 until 2028. So he's still got five years left on that contract. And he's only 24 and just had a monster season. Yeah. If he's available or asks for, asks for a trade, there's going to be a lot of teams. <laughs> yeah. Like you might have to look up like probably both firsts, allow sin, probably also new hook. Yeah. Considering yeah. the packages that teams are going to be throwing for Keller. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, there's just no, that's cool. That's a great hypothetical, but there's just I no chance. You got to stop looking at Instagram rumors. I know, man. It's a danger zone. It's a danger zone. It, they they think as long as they put the account on the bottom, it makes it like credible. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, I just, I get lost. I've had a lot of free time lately, man. So I just scrounge the explore page on Instagram and it, like it's 95% that is, hockey. That is dangerous. That thing is the, the black sea. Of oh yeah, hockey rumors. There is no regulation on any of that. It's like, yeah. what are they? What are they going to do if they're wrong? Lose their it's, reputation? Yeah, still get all the likes, bro. Yeah. It's all about likes. You make a fancy little graphic and be like, the Avs are connected to Ryan O'Reilly and Austin Matthews at the same time, and they're going to get both of them and get 500 likes. And yeah, and trade away two second round picks for Austin yeah. Matthews. Yeah, it's like, is Miko Rantanen on the move after he was caught frowning on the bench? Uh, some funny shit, but yeah, that's there's going to be some fun. I can't wait for the Av season to start, but I think we're good. And let's just pray to God that Vegas blows this because it would just be peak comedy. That would be so funny. I need that to happen. It sucks it would have to be Dallas that that reaps the benefits of it, but it would still be really funny. Oh, yeah, it would be hilarious. Yeah. So I think we're ready to wrap this one up here. We will be back, same schedule as usual for next time. If Dallas loses before then, then we're probably going to have the Central Division conversation stretched out for a whole episode, given each team their due. If not, we'll have to do what we did again, just kind of make this up as we're going. Yeah, I love it. Love it. So again, we're going to wrap here. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Use promo code TELADAPS, it is, on SeatGeek for $20 off your first order of $50 or more. If you have a mailbag question that you would like to send, the link is in the episode description. You can send it there on the Google form. I've got set up. I'll also put it on Twitter, just as a reminder. Update that link once again. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at NHL. You can follow Christian at Christian underscore Belay. And you can follow the show at TELADAPS, it is. But again, thank you all so very much for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time. But until then, 
Let's go Avs.